Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. So for you, has the heat wave induced any questions like where you try to imagine scenarios in your head as you sort of just daze into the humidity? Like existential or like, what am I going to eat tonight? Like, what do you like? Those like, kind of questions? Yeah, that type of stuff. But I was thinking about like, what was it like when Norm Macdonald would be on episodes of the Fairly Odd Parents. And like what what would it be like for Norm Macdonald and Butch Hartman to be in the same room together? Because I just feel like Norm Macdonald would be fucking with him the entire time. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot like, about hey, that. Yeah, hey, um, yeah, yeah. Hey, Butch. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty, pretty cool. Of you to to let me play a, a gay genie on this show. <laughs> Butch Arma would have like a conniption, having to correct his. Ah, yeah, yeah. You, you're a good one, good one, Butch. You know what are you? What are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, Norm, he's clear. Clearly, Butch. You wrote him gay. <laughs> yeah, oh. Butch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I would. I. I would pay to be able to see that, to see those reactions. Um, yeah, God. I, I don't know. I just, it just, it, it seems like a, an interesting energy. Yeah. Also, what a bizarre guest star to get on that show. I know. I kind of forgot that he was on there. I forget a lot about like the fairy op parents and honestly, all of Butch Hartman's shows. Well, yeah. Cause like, I mean the, the prime audience for the fairly odd parents were children born in the mid nineties. And yes. Uh, Norm Macdonald would have been is known to like Gen X fans of Saturday Night Live. So right. I, I, I'm unsure what the crossover was there, or if they just had him on the lot randomly, and they were like, "It's possible, hey, Norm. You want to be a genie?" It's honestly possible that's what happened. They really want to say a few lines. Let's just say a few lines. Let's take like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say him as a as a deeply closeted gay genie. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. What are you talking about? Fairly Odd Parents was clearly a very Christian show, Zan. Clearly, clearly, clearly in its polytheistic view of <laughs> yeah, the world. I, I will never understand that, but like his mm. his whole connection to it being whatever. But anyway. Oh Danny God. Phantom, I don't, I don't know what the maybe Danny Phantom. We, surely we have talked about this before. Danny Phantom trying to fit that into Christianity. There has to be fan art of Danny Phantom on the cross. Well, yeah, Butch Hartman probably made it. Yeah, the Holy Ghost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what he meant yes. when they pitched it, and then the the other writers took it a different way. And he was yes. like, "What do you mean? Why isn't this uh, <laughs> huh? missing a few yeah, yeah. things here?" Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. How have, so? That's how I've been doing. How have you yeah. been coping with the heat? Uh, 
well, I've been staying inside mostly, mm. but no, and swimming in the pool. But I also went to the beach recently, which helped. Uh, yeah, I went with for my friend's birthday, and a bunch of us went. It was a lot of fun. It was the first time I swam in the Atlantic in like forever, even though it was freezing. But uh, it was very cool, you know. Like it was, it was windy there, even though it was like ninety back on like you know more inland Jersey. So mm-hmm. or in the nineties, I don't even think it was ninety. I think it was higher than that. So, but it was also very breezy on the on the beach. So that was nice. And you know, after you get too hot, of course, you just go swim in the ocean. My weird connection was I was I've been reading the uh, Napolitan Quartet books by Elena Ferrante. So they had a whole chunk of the book, the second book, talking about the beach scene with friends. So I was kind of just like living that mm. weird crossover in my mind, even though they're in, you know, the Mediterranean and I'm at the Atlantic Ocean at the Jersey Shore. So clearly big difference. But a little, 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 a little, a lot holding my hands out here. But <laughs> one of the things that happened was so I, I when I finally went swimming in the waves, I wear glasses, as you can see. So I took my glasses off, even though I can't see without them. And, you know, anything I was wearing that would fall off because the water was rough, you know, and I get out there and I finally drench myself, like go fully under, just embrace the cold. And I feel like what mm-hmm. it must have been like to jump into the Arctic Ocean or something. But um, I swimming for a bit just hanging out and all of a sudden i notice a shadow underneath the water line and you know it's about up to my waist if not higher so it's like mm-hmm. solid four mm-hmm. feet and um maybe more than less than that and like in the waves underneath i just see this like squirming shadow and then i squint also because it's sunny and it's a it's like a sand shark shape or like one of the very smaller sharks that's probably a solid three feet um wow. just swimming under everybody yeah and I looked at it, and I'm standing next to my friends who also saw it, a few of them, and I was like, nope. And I left. I immediately <laughs> just turned around and swam to shore. I was like, I'm not doing this. Absolutely not. And uh, I, everybody else was freaking out. And then my other mm-hmm. friends who were further out, where the sand shark was under them, came back mm-hmm. wondering why we left. And I was like, yeah, there was like a shark. Didn't you see it? And they're like, what? No. So we kind of waited on the shoreline for a bit because we were like maybe let's wait let's wait a little bit to go back in and Mm -hmm. uh never saw it again so that was my that was my run-in with with nature i mean it is a state park so i mean we are intruding and and sharks get a bad rep so i was trying not to be dramatic because it's not fair you know i mean i've i've been to a beach where i was up on a cliff this was in australia and we pretty clearly could see the silhouette of a tiger shark swimming in the ocean oh, uh, down below mm, and the beach was mean. beautiful and there were people in the water uh but it is uh yeah you're you're in you're in their house uh yeah, but the- I, I mean you know you really came face to face you know mm-hmm. one apex predator to another um, yeah you know both of you not the best eyesight so you must rely on your sense of smell <laughs> and uh and and electrical pulses. Yeah, I had my my mm-hmm. shark senses. I guess that's like yeah. what Shark Boy felt in Shark Boy and Lava Girl, right? They never get into Shark Boy's <laughs> really uh, ability don't. to detect uh, slight <laughs> variations in water pressure uh, <laughs> and the electricity generated by the movements of your muscles. Right? Huh? Yeah, that, that would. I'm sure. I'm sure that's just the subtext. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez probably wrote it in there, and they cut it because it was too complicated mm-hmm. for kids. Yeah, I mean, I like how sharks are one of the few animals that have naming conventions like Avatar The Last Airbender. How do you mean? Like, 
leopard shark, tiger oh, shark. Oh, right. Other animals shark, on top. I forgot. Zebra shark. <laughs> you know, if you said that to anybody else, they're going to think it's like a half bowl, half shark kind of situation. I never thought of that, huh? That's that's going to be my humid day thought now. I'm going to be thinking mm. about this for more than it probably deserves, huh? Like you you want to actually picture a, a shark with horns. Although actually a horned shark is a thing already. Yeah. There's you know, there's over 400 species of sharks. Yeah, there's a goblin shark. They're cool. I like Oh them. yeah. Very fun. No, that's Goblin shark legit looks like a creature from Avatar. Oh yeah, no, they are creepy, but very nice. Well, I don't actually know if they're nice. They're just kind of vibing underwater, but uh, yeah, a little freaky. Oh yeah, yeah, a little freaky. Um, but yes, as we contemplated our own reality, there was another thing that we encountered that uh, <laughs> had, had us had us questioning a lot of our our perception i guess of <laughs> how you could say uh, that of our of ourselves and media and it uh it, in 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 sort of our our confused uh humidity induced uh torpid states we both watched the rehearsal recently yes oh my gosh i love it yeah so and and it the series isn't complete uh, yeah. at this point but we we have to talk about it. We, we have, have to, to talk about yes, this. and that's what this is now going to become. Um, mm-hmm. And it is how to even describe and setting up a conversation is quite a lot. But it has been an experience that I yeah. have very much enjoyed so far, even though I haven't mm-hmm. fully processed everything we've learned about it. It's only recently starting to mm-hmm. put some pieces together. But yeah, Nathan Fielder, I think constantly outdoes himself and honestly good on hbo for spending the money because yeah that's they the, gave that's him a blank amazing... check it's nuts well, yeah because because even with nathan for you the stuff that he was able to do was pretty impressive i think for you know what probably was a just a regular tv show budget he clearly doesn't have a huge crew it's not like you need the the show itself is pretty cheap, you know. All you yeah. really need is Nathan, but his projects and stuff to sort of hire a lie detector operator, <laughs> you know, always, or the Aegis. The what do they call them? The age, um, oh, the guy who can like figure out what you're gonna look like in ten years or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like the you know him interacting with all of these small business owners and stuff it uh it's all it's fascinating but also and and you're like i think you're getting a little bit of a glimpse of like okay what can a uh, a tv what is a small budget to a tv show like what can that actually equate to in terms of uh yeah. just interacting with small business owners and and yeah no seeing him with hbo money oh yes like it's it's really incredible what he's able to uh what he's been able to pull off so far with this show yeah but what i thought we would kind of center this conversation on was the topic of metafiction mm. um and sort of use this as our our jumping off point yeah uh, for for this conversation because we we want to talk about this show it's been uh it's been it's been it's incredible been yes, we can't talk it's been about, experience we can't say that enough 
But um, I also wanted to give a little bit of background on Metafiction. What exactly, what does it mean to have a show like this come out in 2022? Um, why does this feel so relevant? Why does, why is so much of it like weirdly resonate with all of us? Yeah. Um, there's, there's the, the prank, the things that almost feel like a, uh, like a high budget prank show. And then suddenly you have these moments of Nathan Fielder uh, seemingly, you know, like saying nonsense and then suddenly coming to these weirdly profound or sad conclusions. Um, And I I don't think I I think it's a little jarring the swing that the that the show Mm. has in tone there. So to sort of start, because I think people refer to metafiction a lot and and even meta is now in our colloquial just terms like people know to call things yeah. meta when they're self-referential but not everyone <laughs> knows what that is so yeah. we'll we'll give a little bit of background um sure. i'm just gonna honestly do you mind if i just pull out this this dictionary i have in yeah my i think that's always the oh you have a pocket dictionary very fun yeah bringing it yeah, back I'm, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I don't want to look up things on my phone anymore, you know? Yeah, I mean, because after talking yeah, about what we're going to talk about, that's probably a yeah, good thing. Yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I'm embarrassed by the, the words that I don't know how to spell, so I don't want Google to find out about that. Oh, I am, dude, I, I straight up just jam my keyboard and see what comes out sometimes when I'm trying to type something out, and it, it could be very wrong in spelling, and Google fixes it's really it It's really bad so. when the suggestions can't even get it right, <laughs> the word that I'm trying to figure out. Uh, well, okay, yeah, that's fair. That has to be a different thing, but if I'm typing in a place, like, I'll just blindly, you know, I'm not looking at the keyboard, I'm mm-hmm. typing, I missed a bunch of letters, and Google's like, mm-hmm. did you mean that? And I'm like, you knew. You knew because you look at my search history. You figured it out. It's fine. Uh-huh. Anyway, as you're scanning. So, yes. Yeah, so metafiction. Metafiction. Fiction in which the author self-consciously alludes to the artificiality or literariness of a work by parodying or departing from novelistic conventions, especially naturalism, and traditional narrative techniques. So I think the maybe, I don't want to say the 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 peak of this, but maybe one thing that comes to mind is Deadpool, I think for uh, yeah. anyone paying attention to things in the last, uh, you know, few years of movies, uh, right. movies and TV shows are increasingly, uh, meta fictional or have meta analysis. At least, at least there's some lip service to that idea. Um, Deadpool being a superhero that is aware that he is, in a fictional universe, making references, making, you know, break, breaking the, the fourth wall, which is something that we think of as, uh, in terms of the stage or, you know, make, making reference to the fact that this is a constructed world. Mm -hmm. Uh, so something might not follow the logic of real life or that, just to remind you that someone's hand is at play or to draw attention to, the, the hand of the author. What I think good metafiction does is how it still exists within whatever genre it is uh, it is examining, which yeah. I think, in my mind at least, this is this is my own bit of editorializing. I think that's what separates it entirely that that's what separates it at least partially from parody. Yes. Where if something's meta fictional, 
it like Shaun of the Dead, I think, still works as a zombie movie. Oh, yeah. Even because it is dealing with the the deeper paranoias of a zombie movie. While while, you know, pretty much lampooning the genre as well, but it's not an out and out uh, parody of uh, of of the genre. So, I mean, and I'm sure there's a million exceptions to that. Like, I don't even know what you would consider like blazing saddles, but um, metafiction as a concept uh, has uh, been around for a bit. Um, the term was originally coined in a book called Fiction and Figures of Life by William H. Glass in 1970. So it hasn't been around for a super long time, but, you know, the 70s, that's, that's you know, yeah. this, this is a term that's been around for 50 years now. But it was really responding to 60s literature. Hmm. Um, you know, your you, Kurt Vonnegut's. Uh, the, uh, the, it, it, it has a particular uh, resonance with postmodern literature, um, just, just in the way that, that art has had to respond to itself. You know, um, think, think about with the modernist era, where, you know, the late, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, you have everyone putting history into these eras, categorizing everything. And then sort of having this feeling of, well, what comes next? If this is the modern age and we've defined everything and it feels like history is ending, where do we go from here? Right. Um, and we've invented all of this jargon to describe everything. And mm-hmm. what has sort of happened as modernism evolved and, and eventually we came into a postmodernist mindset we've turned that jargon back around on ourselves culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the words to describe what we are doing, and we put a lot of critical analysis into everything we make now because we we created this entire vocabulary to talk about what people had done in the past. Right. And it seems... It seems like it's the stereotype of annoying uh, art students now, but it, it really is how we examine all of these things. And I think has led to the weird dualist culture that we now that we now find ourselves in where there. They're just there just seems to exist two different groups of people, people that are uh examining what comes out in different ways. And I don't think it necessarily has to do entirely with politics, although you could make an argument that, you know, leftists are much more ready and much more uh, willing to critically analyze everything that happens. The issue is nobody likes this lens being turned around back on them, you know, like, yeah, it's like becoming super self-conscious of a quirk, the way that, since doing the Uncanny County Museum, I have been increasingly aware that I say, you know, a lot <laughs> uh, after enough. after a statement, after any kind of statement. Yeah, I say interesting constantly. <laughs> That's mine. But, you know, uh, damn it, I did it. Yeah, see? Uh, 
it's it's that thing of of we, we don't like that becoming aware of those subconscious things because we feel out of control i think i yeah I, I, I that think... that that you are that you are beholden to some uh, contrivance hmm. when you yourself are trying to pretend that you are the analyzer, and yet we're hmm. all blind to our own conventions. This is this is the trap, the trap of this, oh, the, God. of 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 our post God is dead consciousness. Um, yeah and and you know part of it does stem from our our individualism that we have in our culture but i i think i i don't think you can separate it just from the historical eras that we've all survived at this point Mm -hmm. where we want to look at every decision every choice of words every uh every undertaking with all of the factors that could go into it, because it's it, on, on the one hand, it's a very humanist idea mm-hmm. where everything is measurable. Everything is relatable back to the human experience. Uh, I mean, even look at the way that we, we look at crime now where uh, at least in a lot of cases where we're we have this growing consciousness that uh you know we're 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 punishing people for crimes when there are actually all these other factors that force people into certain crimes uh right in society so we're uh we're 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 a machine trying to explain itself it's it's incredibly <laughs> difficult to talk about this stuff but as we've become you know especially since the 60s there's been more and more uh uh literature like this but uh i think where it gets sped up is in the 90s and i and i should also mention that there are things that are cited as being metafiction that are earlier than the postmodernists you know uh, you could argue that, to some extent, Dickens was doing something like this. That Don Quixote uh, by Miguel de Cervantes was doing this. I even kind of consider uh, Moby Dick to be somewhat of a metafiction. Hmm. If you consider uh, Ahab as the classical hero and Ishmael as just some guy that's along for the ride and is uh, just, just around all of these heroic figures and is observing uh, the way that heroes are so determined in their goals that it's actually kind of horrifying to, to be in the presence of a hero hmm. or the, of a, or a classical heroic figure. Um, Interesting. Yeah, because because Ishmael himself is is almost like kind of pathetic compared to Ahab or even Queequeg. Hmm. Yeah. So all all that being said, what I think has sped up this process, even though this stuff does predate it, I think the 90s and that ironic culture where... Yeah. You know, at this point, postmodernism 
you know, in the art world is well, is pretty well understood in the 80s. But because there's so much mass culture and really mass marketing for the in, yeah. in the way that we would recognize it today. Um, and just money being involved, big money being involved in pretty much every form of art. People, you know, realizing that even their their countercultures have a lot of money behind them, no matter where you go. Mm -hmm. uh, that self-awareness, I think, leads really into grunge, you know, MTV, right. like stuff that is trying to escape the gravity of all, all of these things that are tailor-made for you to like them. Uh, hmm. and, and, and it's like, have you ever... Have you ever seen footage of Ozzy Osbourne performing like back in the day? Maybe like once or twice. I can't like remember it off the top of my head. The thing about it, and this is my opinion about a lot of metal music, and I am sorry. But I think it is very silly. Hmm. Uh, and even and I understand like there's a lot of serious and deep stuff going on. There's a lot of great art, but the pageantry of it where, you know, we are from our 21st century lens, it's all so tame and you have to really understand that this was shocking stuff back right. in the day. But if you ever, ever watch live concert footage of Ozzy Osbourne, especially in the 80s uh, and late 70s, he looks so confused <laughs> out on stage. Oh, man. And, you know, he's just he's wandering back and forth on the stage shirtless. Uh, and just, you know, th then suddenly stumbling in front of the microphone to sing. And you're just like, this is the Prince of Darkness, you know? <laughs> and it just, he just, he's this, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a rock star. He's, he's a verifiable, you know, imp important cultural icon. Right. And he's just also this, he is, he is a chubby British man in tight purple clothing and eyeliner, you know, uh, yeah, you know, screaming into a microphone and the, the, the decadent rock God of the eighties, especially with hair metal. Oh yeah. You can totally see grunge in the nineties as such a clear reaction to that, where, you know, they're a different, kind of rock star they're like yeah. we're self we're they they we're self-aware i've talked about this before too the way that kurt cobain speaks in interviews uh he is so self-conscious he is simultaneously pretending he doesn't care about how he appears but he is so so uh cautious of the way he's perceived he does not want to seem like it's gone to his head. He does not want to come off as an Axl Rose, you mm, know, right. um, as a as a Bon Jovi. He is really not interested in being perceived that way. And so the mask of irony of like, <laughs> you think that's cool, you know, right. like like that attitude that we still have with hipsters today, I think yeah. leads us to to where we are with. How how irony has fit into this that you can kind of 
approach things with just an ironic tone in your voice. Like, honestly, even to try and explore new things, sometimes we have to use that as a shield. Like, oh, I'm, I'm like wearing hats now, but like, you know, ironically, I don't, I'm not like really into wearing hats unless it looks good, you know? Right. Then you would be sincerely into wearing hats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of my, my personal mm-hmm. thesis statement that I'm writing in my head while I'm <laughs> sweating my brains out at work. Um, Just, do, yeah. do you do you have sort of a relationship to 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 this this metatextual thing that like mm. everything that we intake, like you're also supposed to you're you're like obligated to have this extra layer of critique to go along with it. Yeah, I mean, I have it from a. I think more of like a media perspective than the like I I think the way that you covered this is is really great in setting it up because honestly it still confuses me a lot just like postmodern and post postmodern does the language is very I I do think it can be unaccessible at times but when you sit down and read it it makes a lot of sense you know but I think this the the self critical thing or even just like overanalyzing something is is a very frustrating and fascinating argument because I do think that we need to engage critically with things that we intake because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that we ironically watch or ironically like but Mm -hmm. it it leads to like the alt-right pipeline or like you know just internalizing misogyny and all kinds of other stuff that's just been force-fed from 90s comedy so I or any honestly many decades worth of comedy or drama or tropes and these things that just like constantly get piled on but in moving so so i I think like you know when because like i I feel like the the more like to give an example of that almost it's Mm -hmm. when I've, i've heard two sort of different discourses on like even with the film luca where you have people mm-hmm. who are analyzing it and s- sort of the 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 gay undertones and the, the the queer messages behind the film and things that are there when you really get into the analytics of it and understand it and then you have the polar opposite reaction where people are like oh it's a kids movie you know it's this it's just that and and those things yeah. are just there why are you looking into it so much and i think right. that there has to be you know there's these middle grounds that i feel like have to occur where we can understand that it's important to analyze something and understand it and at the same mm-hmm. time sometimes just notice what it's doing you know right because like we're not gonna like even with pop music specifically like let's give it let's say 2010's pop music mm-hmm. you know i don't know how much you can look into those lyrics like you know Katy perry's firework and go this is a lyrical masterpiece here and this is actually everything she means i'm sure that there's some stuff there but we can all start mm-hmm. to agree that, you know, this is written by a team of executives who are approving these things to go right. off yeah, to no, th- cater this is, to you. This is, this is it, it's made in a test tube. Exactly, exactly. And that has its place. I guess it's also like, like at, at some point at work or something, like I, um, Bad Blood came on the radio. And I remember when that came out and that was a big deal because of the music video and you know oh, whoever, right. whoever yeah. Taylor Swift was feuding with at the moment sure, was yeah. relevant or something but 
it and and I'm not I'm not a a, a Taylor Swift uh, hater, you know, uh-huh. in the way that a lot of it just I mean to me just comes off as as misogynistic. I'm yeah. mostly indifferent to her music, but I I respect I I, I respect the hustle. Yeah, I was going to say the like same thing. Some, I I do I do legitimately like some of her songs, but I I, I, I if um take another look at the lyrics to Bad Blood because they're not what I'd call good. Mm, um, yeah. And not like, not like that they're, that she's a bad person because of what she wrote. I just think that mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. not good lyrics. Well, we're going to, that, right. That's an okay take to have. I don't um, know. Zay, we're going to get canceled on Twitter now. For oh yeah. The, no stands. Well, so. may, maybe, maybe I, I think, I think people are piling on Taylor Swift right now because of her private jet usage or something. Yeah, uh, but I'm sure maybe. she will recover from this PR uh, nightmare <laughs> as she has time With, and time again. Yeah. But, okay. But but to your point, like people yeah. taking different uh, perspectives on things, mm-hmm. it it brings to mind one story that I don't think I've told before. I was working for a guy at a frame shop in Boston, and he uh, for a little while uh, while had been interested in getting into law enforcement. He, you know, now runs a framing shop, but he'd gone to school for art. Hmm. Um, and then at one point, you know, cause he's, he's just, he's, he's a nice guy. He's very smart and everything, but you know, he's also kind of a, a, a burly Boston townie, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, at one point was, was fl- flirting with the idea of becoming a police officer and, uh, you know, so, you know, was going through it and everything and took the test. And one of the questions on the exam was, if you were a painter, there were like yes or no statements. And it was like to analyze um, comprehension. Hmm. And the, the question was, if you were a painter, would you paint a flower? Or if you were an artist, would you paint a flower? And he was really stumped on that question because he was like, what do they mean by this question? And so he wrote no, because he's like, well, I don't paint flowers. Right. And then he got like pulled in like they were like psychologically worried about him. And they were like, could you explain your answer to this question? And he's like, I was looking at it through this lens like no 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 we meant this just surface level like do you understand what a painter is what huh yeah that is weird i mean this explains a lot actually it it would explain (laughs) the comprehension of certain police officers that we know yeah Um, yeah it's making a lot more sense actually but 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 that idea that that extra layer of criticality is not expected in that place and that's not well, to say that there's that because like i understand there's like people that work their way up there's like detectives and stuff who are very analytical people they're yeah, and, i mean you kind of have to be it's like the job yeah but, but like that it was just very interesting to hear yeah. that you know here's this guy who's you know uh, a, a a reasonably educated guy, a little broy, but otherwise, you know, very very nice, very conscious, very progressive, and he's, you know, and he's too analytical and too self aware to answer <laughs> this question correctly. Yeah, at least God. for for uh for like 
entry level police work. Right. Oh my god. Yeah, that is very and, fascinating. And I, yeah. And, yeah, and I and I have no idea like how true that is across the country, across different uh police sure. departments. I'm and sure stuff. it's different. Yeah, but that story has always stuck with me, and I think he he thought of it as just kind of a funny story, you know, he told while, you know, while we were bored at work. Um, but I've, I've thought a lot about it in that I think it highlights the, the, the different people and the different perspectives, the different yeah. levels of criticality that people approach things with, that yes. there are issues and... Um, dialogues that we are very aware of as people that you know now have master's degrees in yeah. <laughs> uh, in, yeah. in interpreting human art yes uh and some of that stuff is is you know very much in the periphery if not just invisible to a lot of people and it's difficult to talk about this stuff without coming off as very elitist because it, right. it ultimately a lot of it doesn't necessarily matter but it does it does um, i mean it doesn't it doesn't it's because i think you know what it is it's critical engagement and critical thinking that matters yeah and when you turn that off because it's frustrating you yeah. are susceptible to a lot of things i.e mm -hmm. fascism and all and the opposite of that honestly an extreme right. opposite of that let's say so well, i i yeah because i because i think that that's the key in a lot of this thing that becomes a bit questionable because even on the left you see this happen a lot where there's mm -hmm. there's so much critical like thinking that it becomes non-critical thinking anymore it just becomes i saw mm -hmm. it on the internet and i'm going to regurgitate this so i can perform something in order to look a certain way but then or the next day someone yeah. else said something yeah. that counters that and now i'm the bad guy again so i have to recounter yeah. that by saying actually no i meant that it happens constantly and it's exhausting well, you, but you you can look at any event and it's such a rorschach test of, oh my god yeah you know this thing something can happen in the news or a piece of media can come out and it will uh regardless of your of your political affiliation confirm things that you uh deep feelings that you have you know that um i don't i really do not i do not want the conversation to become about this but <laughs> Uh, however you fell on the, and, and I, I don't even know if I want to talk about my own opinions about it. I'm just going to say this, the, the Will Smith, uh, Chris Rock oh, fiasco yeah. where he slapped him at the Oscars. <sighs> uh, yeah. However, people look at that, that event that happened within its moment and its context and it confirms whatever they feel about the world. And, you know, there might be some truth to uh, the, the, the perspectives. But the thing is, at the end of the day, different people on very different ends of the political spectrum, it confirms things for them. And I'm not necessarily totally sold on, on horseshoe theory, but I do think it's interesting. Um, yeah. that, that, that this, that you can have something like that, that's kind of almost this isolated, weird instant and it, and yet it fits into whatever your philosophy yeah. is. Um, and 
And then you just like something like that happens and you have to brace yourself for oh all of the really, really unfunny commentary on it that people the comic comedic stuff that people will have as a reaction to it. You're just like bracing yeah, yourself for the and... articles. Oh my and God. It was exhausting. Yeah. So, but, but as far as like our, our sort of commentary on, on metafiction, I think the other thing we do have to look at is, you know, past the nineties, there's what, there's a lot of surveillance. Yep. There's a lot Tech. of reality. Yeah, a lot of technology, a lot of reality TV shows, oh, a lot yeah. of documentation oh, of things and presenting it as real life. You know, it's I mean, even, the you know, even it goes back. Well, yeah, but it could even go back into the 90s as maybe like, you know. Jerry Springer, you know, mm, yeah, um, Howard Stern, these uh weird edgy radio DJs people that um you know fake serial killer phone calls into their local radio station which is a thing that happened um the all of this stuff i think you know we we want to gawk at the weirdness that's happening because you want to feel like you are on the analytical side of mm-hmm. of this divide that yeah. there's the people that are y- your percep your perspective and i'm i'm just i'm saying this as a general statement but there's this idea that you are self-aware and then there's people that are not self-aware the npcs um, if you will yeah and yeah and like i mean but what 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 does this culminate in like what is honestly one of the one of the most influential uh pieces of media from early 2000s into the 2010s is the office oh god the office is reacting you know one to reality television yes but it's it's a it's a sitcom but it is a self-aware sitcom. There literally is an in-universe explanation for the cameras. And even right. though it is a fictional documentary within the world of The Office, it is presented as something that is, you know, happening in some kind of, you know, slightly elevated realism. Right, right. And and the the entire purpose of the character of Jim is to just look at the camera, you know? Yeah, to give reactions. Yeah, but but how many times has that happened to you? Like, haven't you ever been in a setting where someone says something bizarre Yep. and you just have to make eye contact with your friend, someone that you know is on the same page, and just wordlessly you share that moment of, you heard that, right? That was weird. Zan, that was you and me in grad school. Literally. <laughs> That's literally how our friendship started. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, um, but uh, that is the that is, I think, what you can trace a lot of this back to. But the you know, and I know it's it's at you know at this point it's very cliche to talk about the office. But the 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 thing that I think that is significant about it is i mean i guess it's cliche to say that 
that, oh my God, my life is like the office. You know, that's the, that's the thing. But I think there mm-hmm. is that moment that a lot of us share where there is someone who is in a position of power over you that you are just so confused how they yeah. lack the self-awareness that you <laughs> think you have. You right. think you are the rational person. And there's an, uh, the unfortunate reality is every person on earth thinks they are the rational person oh, and everyone God. else is, is yeah. uh, you know, needs to get with the program. And I think that line of thinking that has evolved from, you know, a... a novels trying to because because literature was always trying to talk about you know the times you know right there that they are in there there it was works of art you know um and then you have something like like the canterbury tales like don quixote like right dick that turn a little bit more of a reflective lens on and then you have modernism then you have the 60s where this is kicked up a notch even more you have the irony of the 90s where now i i don't even know if i am capable of experiencing a fully genuine emotion um were you miscalculating for feelings (laughs) you're gonna have to go back and uh rehearse that then well um there it's it's difficult too because um also among you know certain uh con- contingencies of people there's um a a, a moralizing mm. of the things that you like that hmm. the thing the things that you like and the things that you take in are a reflection of you so you want to make sure that people know that you are critical of the things that you take in that you know uh that you're not just blindly accepting those things, lest you be associated with those, those plebeians that, um, you know, just blindly watch Adam Sandler movies. Uh, yeah. And it's not to say that, because it's really difficult <laughs> to talk about this because I am now trying to be self-reflective. See, that's the thing. It's a, it's a paradox. We're in a paradox. Am, that's what this because is. Because the dirty truth is on some level, even though I know it is an elitist thought, I think of myself as someone like smarter than someone that would just be like, Oh, the new, uh, daddy's home movie. Oh, the right. New Michael Bay movie. I'm just going to go watch that. And like, and, and that's, that's, that's a dirty thing to admit about myself. And I don't like it. I don't like it about myself. I don't like that. I, I have these, these flashes in my mind where I think I'm better than that. I, um, yeah, yeah, I, I understand. But, but I, I think it's something that we need to acknowledge that we think sometimes because it's, it's how a lot of people feel about each other. And I think it's part of why we have kind of an apathy towards each other. Everyone is only, yeah. you know, concerned with, with the feelings of their, of their tribe, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point, actually. I think it would help in healing certain things, for sure, because there's sort of that divide of, I'm too good for this, and I think I look down on people who do this, 
And then there's the people who do the thing or whatever, whatever yeah. it can be. It could be anything in the situation, right? And then that's yeah. like, oh, well, those people, they're so stuck up and pretentious because they think they're better than me. When in reality, you don't have to like either one of those things. It's okay. Yeah. You know, there's just certain, I'm never going to go watch NASCAR. I'm never going to do that. I have, I do I think some of the things that people do with that is crazy? Yes. Do, am I ever going to mm. do it? No. Should I judge them? Probably not. But it does make you feel a little bad for judging. You, you'll but you'll the, judge them a little bit for. The but I think some of it's Brandon. deserved. I'm sorry. Some things are Let, deserved. Let's go. Let's go, Brandon. Will. Yeah. Come on now. This is yeah. <laughs> you're embarrassing yourselves. Just just come on. But the thing is, it's like I I think, you know, in in Michel de Foucault's uh, theory of everyday life, where he he writes on his philosophies and it's rather interesting. He talks a bit about. And he's very bitter about TV and in general visual media in this way where it lacks critical engagement because you have nothing to do. So like when you and I'm very much paraphrasing this, but when you mm-hmm. read a book or you write or you draw, but specifically, mm-hmm. let's say reading a book is the, the way of um, taking in information, taking in a story, a novel, let's say you mm-hmm. can choose the pace to which you read it. You can choose mm-hmm. whose voice is what you can choose mm-hmm. what they look like. and. Y- to a certain extent and you can also just draw in the book what you want you can do whatever you want you can interact with the media when you watch a tv show or a movie as much as i love them because i really Mm -hmm. really love movies and tv there's not much you get to do you just Mm. watch it and that's that's exactly it's passive entertainment and it's passive um information being sent to you so that had me when I read this a bit ago, and it worked its way into my research. It's something that I I haven't stopped thinking about because at the, on the one hand, you don't want to say that one piece of media is better than the other, but at the same time, we need to recognize that because it is actually a problem because you really don't get a say in the thing you're digesting. You know, you could say, "Oh well, I, I keep reality TV on in the background just for fun while I do my other thing," and that's actually an interesting, you know, parallel there where you can be multitasking to to interact with that media. But if you're just watching it to watch it or you're watching Adam Sandler's weird movie that he wrote for a tax break or whatever, and you're just dedicating an hour and a half of your time, no matter how much you think it's fun, mm-hmm. one has to wonder what the reverberations of that movie does to your subconscious and does to the way you think about the world. It's sort of my, right. my hypothetical I've been going on about. I have no idea how legitimate this can be. But if all you're learning about – if the only way you've learned about history was your basic elementary school to middle school – uh, and maybe let's say high school, because at, at this point, I'm looking more towards boomers who do this, but um, I'm going to just group everybody in. So your basic public school knowledge, average wow, class, and gen- yeah, like, and then movies, not even experimental rated R type movies of whatever historical things they usually have to be. I'm talking like Sunday at the sort of like Sunday brunch movie, you know, right? how right. much are you really going to know? How much is really going to, how much, I guess if that's all you had to go off of, if Green Book is the movie that you look to when you look at the civil rights or anything like that, how much are you going to be able to engage with that information if you don't have that open mind or critical thought Mm -hmm. behind it? Because if Mm -hmm. that's the perspective and some people, you know, arrogance is a thing and people can be that way and I I can be that way as well, you know, you're locking yourself into one mindset and because we can get defensive over this and because people attack each other, you're mm-hmm. only coming at a situation with the thing that you've been taught since whenever, and that's it, and you won't go past that. When in reality, 
there's still a lot for us to learn constantly. I mean, I have to, we have to unlearn right. and learn things every day. That's sort of the yes. the world we live in, in a, in a decolonized world or hopefully decolonized world, right? When we're trying, post-colonial yeah. world, I should say. I, but yeah, th- there's, there is something to be, because we're, th- there's a, on, on the left, this is the thing that, that bothers me at, you know, and I've I've noticed it for a while. Is there is an anti-intellectual streak, yes. and I'm not and I'm crazy. not saying that you know it's because they they watch bad movies, uh, but there's you know, um, especially because now there is a resurgence in interest in early two thousand stuff, and people like want to like it because it's trashy. You know, yeah, oh my God, <laughs> we think we think of. We think of that era as trashy. You know, it was the dawn of social media. It was all of this, uh, this uh, over-the-top f- crazy fashion and, you know, music and stuff. Uh, and there, there are, like, cool things that came out of that time, and there's stuff to, to reflect on. Um, what I have noticed is... Uh, and this is, you know, just from from being a, a slightly older, a, a, a grad, a recent graduate student occasionally interacting with undergraduate students is a trying to add a metatextual layer on top of those things. Yeah. Um, like one thing in particular I notice is our reevaluation of Britney Spears's music. Um, since the the revelations of her conservatorship uh, and, you know, basically kind of being a prisoner of her father. Yeah. Um, And that is all legitimately horrifying to learn. Um, And I, obviously my sympathies are with her and I am, you know, I was uh, maybe a little young to fully know what was going on with her or I, um, just kind of didn't care. I didn't follow tabloid type news back then. Mm-hmm. But to learn how she was treated in the media was truly horrifying. Yeah. But there's people that have a lot of reverence for her music just because they remember it from when they were young. And right. now nostalgia. And and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with, you know, liking something for the memories it brings you. You know, I but I have to acknowledge, like, my experience listening to Jimmy Buffett, as I have been doing, <laughs> is different and is largely based on my childhood. Right. I right. I am getting something different out of this than yeah. maybe someone else listening to it. And I can acknowledge that and that the music, a lot of it's kind of dumb. Sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> um, it is, you know, yeah. Th- this I- is me growing. This is me growing. This is me growing. This is your character um, arc, yes. <laughs> this is, yeah. But that's the but that's the thing. Like you even see this with like Stranger Things, where mm. that that is a show based in nostalgia. It's a very good show, but it's not free of the trope of we're gonna look at the '80s as this other you know cool time. I don't right. think they intentionally want it to do this. I yeah, no, do they're, think they're trying to not have it do the the boomer Forrest Gump type thing. Where yeah. the entire thing is, hey, remember this? Hey, remember this? Right. I just also want to say one trope that I was super proud Stranger Things did. That was mm. you. Uh, I does everyone fully appreciate like how like 
this one moment was weirdly like subverted expectations. There was a girl who was throwing up and it was not because she was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to think about that because next time you will, that is something you will not be able to unsee about movies and TV shows. If a woman throws up, it is because she is pregnant. Uh, Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, new trope. Yeah, and Stranger Things, Stranger Things broke the trend. There it did. It broke it. Yeah. Good for them. Good for them. Good, good for but them. It's, hashtag brave. Hashtag brave. Hashtag, <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's more the fans that do this. Like, because it's a younger mm-hmm. audience who look at this time and we go, oh my God, all the, everything's plastic. Everything is cool colors. It's everybody mm-hmm. can ride on bikes. There's like these smaller communities. It's so cool and hip. But then we are graphing on our own. Oh, idea yeah, they're, they're, of society in a time where that's but as, not as, as the series has gone on it's it's showing how the 80s was really the unraveling yeah of of so much of this stuff deregulation right. and and all this stuff but it's but it's one of those things though where it's yeah. not the show it's the audience that is captivated mm. by the, that's my point where it's the mm-hmm. show is smarter and it is yeah doing it's avoiding these pitfalls Whereas other ones don't self aware. Well, being yeah, a, 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 yeah, a medical, a medical well, exactly. Well, that's the thing. But then you also have a bit of that coming on from an audience who looks at it and wants certain things in their own head canon and wants mm-hmm, you know these mm-hmm. things to be true. Especially with Eddie, which he's cool. Don't get me wrong, but I'm sure he had some crazy ideas back then, and I'm sure he, you know, like if you think about a character archetype like that. It's it's like it's hard to fully know, right? But we are mm-hmm. posting our own ideas of what. The, oh, I was that kid in high school, and I, you know, mm-hmm. so that for I'm gonna like him or whatever. Or it, we could do mm-hmm. this with any of the characters in Stranger Things, honestly. But my point being that it's interesting seeing the audience then take this, look at that as a historical time period, and then want it right. to be true in their own headcanon. So therefore, we look at the '80s as this like almost golden age the same thing's happening in music i love the sound of the 80s it is a very interesting tone because it unravels so much nostalgia i don't know why it just does it's the specific synth sounds it's it's tape it's the decay of plastic instruments i don't know it's very weird gated snare Honestly, yeah, but it has charm. It does. City pop, uh, specifically Japanese city pop becoming popular, I think is very interesting, and future funk. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's interesting because, it's again, it's all coming back into its own contemporary music. And now, in 2022, or really 2020 onward, you saw this trend start. Then it makes its way into pop music again, like with Harry Styles and The Weeknd. So it's, I don't know, it's just this very weird thing. And I know that's just genres being influenced by one another but it's yeah. all sort of like even in fashion it's just all coming into this different way of how we perceive the past um mm-hmm. but i, I don't yeah, know it's i mean because all... because even even someone like that we think of as like an indie artist like you know but i mean she's huge but uh phoebe bridgers oh yeah like she is super channeling bruce springsteen oh yes very much you know very much you know, so and I, and I think she's she she even covered i'm on fire you know yeah that, but specifically she's going for 80s spring yes yeah and yeah. i mean in in speaking of also like in kind of bring maybe I don't, just to bring it back towards what we yeah, were talking yeah. about with the rehearsal and mm-hmm. how you were mentioning reality tv shows what's interesting yeah. that i i didn't know um and this was actually listening to the a24 podcast that uh 
Nathan Fielder was on with Alexa Demi from Euphoria. Mm-hmm. She plays. What is? Um, I have to ask. What is Nathan Fielder like when he's not in character? Or... He's kind of the same. Like he's kind of <laughs> like he's less like. Oh, w- what do you mean? You know, like when he asks yeah. like questions, it is very awkward. But he even like tells a joke like at one point where he's saying like how oh, I for it was something to do with like when editing goes right, like when in the editing room when and he's talking to uh, Alexa Demi about this and is like, yeah, when you get that edit right, it's just like it's so good, you know, like it like gets it get like gets me off. And he's like, but not like in a sexual way. And she's like, oh <laughs> yeah, no, I know, like it, you know, it works. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, in case you were thinking it was the sexual way, I want it to be clear. And she's like, mm. yeah, no, I know. And it's just this very awkward silence, <laughs> but I can tell he's setting it up as a joke. Like, it's very clear yeah. that he's playing off he's, his own he's awkwardness. Very, he's very dry, and <laughs> I think he's doing... I mean, him and him and Eric Andre, you know, we're, we're in this era of... They, they, they both got, you know, we're, we're getting started when you know, people were becoming more and more exposed to, like... Like, think of all all the Adult Swim stuff that also was rising oh my God, to prominence yeah. when, um, you know, Eric Andre was uh, doing his thing, you know. There, there started to be that very irreverent type of comedy where you... this Some of that stuff is so funny, but you yeah. could watch it with a certain subset of the population and they would not immediately recognize it as a comedy. Yeah. And the the thing ultimately that is so um jarring I think about Nathan for you but now the rehearsal is you are watching it's not like they're prank shows. Again, no. No. But you are watching something that the people that are in it I genuinely I I simultaneously do and do not want to know what are the people that are in this that are not Nathan Fielder and they're not working behind the scenes? Like everybody else that's on camera that isn't Nathan Fielder, what do they think is going on? Yeah. What do they, th- what do they think they are filming? Like I was rewatching some of Nathan for you and like the, the, the episode where he has to shoot the fake movie oh to avoid getting yes. sued. Yeah. Um, and that, that actress, you know, and she was paid and, you know, there's there there's no like uh, nothing bad happens. But like you have to just imagine the, the pure confusion of people reacting to Nathan Fielder. And it's like, like, does someone come out and say, hey, Nathan's going to be really weird and you just have to roll with it. OK, or are is it like Eric Andre? They're just throwing them to the wolves. Like, what 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 do these people think this this TV show is? It's like. I, yeah, I guess that's fair. I like, and and I I had a similar question about like Twin Peaks. Um, <laughs> when you get a script from Twin Peaks, like, oh, all right, yeah. Well, yeah. Do you think this is a soap opera? When you read that script, because yeah. it the dialogue is hokey as hell. Yeah. But then you know, once you know how it's shot, how it's edited, that, and you know that that David Lynch has this grand vision for this thing. And then right. you're like, oh, it's art. Right. It's the thing that I wonder about, it's like, does the set for a bad movie look that differently from the set of a good movie that 
the the editor or the director is going to cut into this brilliant um something that uh yeah is something that really resonates with people i mean because yeah you have to you have to appreciate how much of the things that we love about storytelling in film is all done through editing editing's the magic that's the thing that yeah. ties the whole thing together and i mean it's the thing that we try to want we we at some point want to sort of interrogate as well but ultimately yeah. it's what makes the story you know you don't want to be like yeah. jurassic world dominion and just not edit anything yeah. just well, like, and just throw about, it to the wall you know well, well th- think think about an american psycho have you ever seen american psycho mm-hmm. okay yeah. yeah so so the scene where willem dafoe is interrogating um christian bale Right. Um, not, not interrogating him, just doing like a light interview. Yeah. You know, Will, Willem Dafoe was told to do like three different uh, takes of that conversation to basically read his, read the same lines, but to act uh, in one act in one version like he suspects Christian Bale, one like he doesn't suspect Christian Bale, and one where he's not sure. Hmm. Um. And those. those three takes were all edited into the movie oh yeah 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 to make it look like so you're seeing it through the perspective right yeah so Mm. that's that is the great unease of that scene is all done through editing oh yeah but you couldn't necessarily immediately know that just from the shooting yeah you have to analyze it and then know so what what is it like I kind of want to know the people in Nathan for you, like, do they know how this fits into the bigger picture? Cause like, clearly he has a vision for what he's yeah. doing. I, I mean, the thing that's been catching me like in Nathan for you. And even with the rehearsal, it's when he goes to greet these people, they have microphones on them. So yeah, they yeah. definitely gre- greeted them beforehand and they kind oh, of yeah. gave well, them a their, little bit their of their face. Their faces aren't blurred. So right. They had to have signed. You see so, that stuff and you know, OK, well, he had to get people to agree to a certain uh, amount of things. And then but then you have to wonder about how these people are being portrayed. I mean, we 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 have to talk about um in the rehearsal. Yeah, you know? I was just gonna bring it to that where he literally puts yeah. himself in those shoes. It's uh if that yeah. if that's what you meant, the latest episode. Yeah, I mean the the latest the latest episode is a <laughs> it is it is such a wonderful. How how would you even explain it? It is. Wow. I mean, it's a lot of things happening all at once, but the one of the bigger events that spoilers also from here on probably to the end of this tour. Yeah. Uh, If you haven't watched yet and you plan on it, you might want to stop and skip to the end just as a heads up. Or -hmm. if you don't care, Mm -hmm. keep stay in the room. So now that we gave you that warning, um, (laughs) (laughs) basically, I, I, I look at it as that was me on my first day of teaching a class in college and wanting <laughs> to know if I did okay and going mm-hmm. way too deep in my own mind about it. And then I got to watch mm-hmm. Nathan Fielder do that and then get to do it again in a different position and and and, and acting. I mean, I think ultimately, <laughs> like, because that episode, I have to really watch it again, honestly, because it's just so much to take in. But he really ties everything back together from the story of Angela discussing her own personal history and things and then bringing that back with Adam, the fake son, 
into her yeah. having to experience that as the parent's perspective. Right. Because I think that we might have been lost on her, honestly. Because she got very comfortable in this living yeah. in this house. Like it's 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 kind of awkward to a certain well, extent. Well, yeah. So and I mean for like people that haven't watched the show and don't care, basically Nathan is um for for a few episodes now, Nathan Fielder has constructed a fake home uh for this woman Angela to see if she likes the experience of being a mother. Right. And so for all of these rehearsals where you know Nathan is prepping people for real life events with actors and yeah. is you know uh on the one hand uh critiquing reality television but also method acting you know, oh, yeah. he is he is basically um, uh, set up like this workshop for people that are supposedly going to be actors on his TV show. Yet the acting class is part of the show. Right. And then he's taking it a step further by taking his own class to, you know, and his his character basically is trying to see what it's like to get lessons from him. And you also sort of have that moment where it would be great if you could ask other people <laughs> what you're like, you know, unbiased. Yeah. Um, But you're like, you know, clearly like all of these people, you can tell from the jargon and stuff, like if they either went to school for acting or they know the lingo, you know? Yeah. You listen to the way that they say things like it's a reaction. And right. you're like, okay, these are people that know about performance art, right? You know, or have or have some passing knowledge. They know how to talk the talk. You know, they 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 you know probably went to their college friend's black box theater production. You know? Right, right. It's it's those kinds of L.A. people, and you're like, okay, well, they all agreed to be on this show, but do they know that this is why they're here? Um, and then even Angela, you know, with all of her weird, uh, religious stuff, that's hilarious. And you have these things where you're like, she does all this weird stuff. She thinks, um, Halloween is a satanic holiday. <laughs> She's completely ignoring, uh, what the, the project is supposed to be, which is her, uh, trying out being a parent. Yeah. She's working um, on her Etsy store. Yeah, but also, like, there's all of these hints that there's actually more to her and that, yeah. you know, there's been a lot done to dehumanize her because we look at her as a, as a crazy person with crazy beliefs. And, you know, then you're sort of starting to understand is like, oh, she has, you know, she has a troubled past. And, you know, it sounds like Christianity was, you know, part of what, uh, you know, might have might have helped mm -hmm, helped her mm -hmm. out of it and you know now she's just into a new <laughs> yeah into it maybe a little too far deep into something maybe else. too far maybe and too far it, yeah but it's it's hilarious to us because we're not in that we're not in that dialectic with her yeah we're not we're not in there with her where she sees you know, Satanists running Google, you know, not that the people the that run devil. Google, yeah, the, the Google are, 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 are good people. No, no. I mean, she's on to something kind of, but also not really. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's complicated though, too, because it's like, who was the guy who's uh, the Scion TC at a hundred miles per hour? What guy? was his name? Like Robin? Or? Rob. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's Robin. <laughs> so like one thing, 
in, in the recent news, he just did an interview. I think it was like what? with the Atlantic or somebody. Yeah, they got him to do like a bit of an interview because apparently, talk about men. I thought he, I thought all of these guys must have signed uh, NDAs. I think I don't know because he like just based in the way he talks, it's like the show filtered a lot of what he said oh. because he he one of the complaints he had. Well, actually, I should start from here. Apparently, he got traction. Like they interviewed him even further because he was going on like Nathan for You Facebook groups and like messing with people on there. And like oh posting God. different like ironic images, but then getting defensive when people brought like made fun of like some of the things that he did, like with the Scion TC crash and also like 88 and all his, the angel his, number his, stuff. His numerology stuff. Yeah, but then he would also and, like and, agree and with him, people. Him, him wanting to drive without a license plate. Yeah, people asked him like in the chat, they're like, did you get a license plate yet? And then he like adamantly still says, no, I don't need them, you know? Of course, I don't need a license plate to drive. And it's just like, what? oh, my God, like, I actually believes this. And then but the other thing he was saying that, like, he felt that the show did him dirty because they cut a lot of what he was saying about Jesus and how, like, they didn't fully put in all these oh. things he wanted to say. And apparently, oh, no, now now it sounds like the show did him a favor. Well, yeah, honestly. But then apparently <laughs> he still keeps in touch with Angela, or at least he says so. Who knows if it's true? But like, they still like talk, I guess even though this must have been over for a bit. So that's also weird because he just leaves halfway through the episode because he yeah. didn't want to deal with it. So it's just this, like, it's weird when you see the character. Well, I think both, you know, without being able to predict the rest of the show, I feel like maybe both of them found out they don't want to be parents. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, it's. Yeah. So, it, so like, but like he was, was he trying to like proselytize more? Was he like, did he go on a whole rant about Jesus that just got edited out? Or uh, yeah, apparently, according to him, yes. Like he was just talking about this more and more, and they just kind of cut it in a lot of cases, which also makes sense because why would you want that for your show? Like it would become something entirely yeah. different and probably and, make and him the, look the, worse. The point of the the point of the show is not these people are dumb because they're religious. It's like these people are just oblivious. Yeah, and 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 I think. I think in one sense that it, it the show might be trying to, to humanize these people that we disagree with, but also still highlight the fact that we're all kind of living in these different bubbles where yeah. we think we're the sane ones and it's the rest of the world that's nuts. And it's it's difficult to say that from our point of privilege because we are too... Uh, two educated people with, uh, with with master's degrees right. and uh, a a a cursory knowledge of <laughs> the world to know certain realities to be more valid than others. That mm -hmm. you know that systemic racism is real. To to mm -hmm. to know just. That, that there that there are there are certain objective realities that we cannot ignore. I, I just throw that out because we also share the country with people that do not think it is real. Um, yeah. Oh, but that that as an example, like, but there's people that of from a lot of different walks of life that do not see it that way. Yeah. And it's 
it, it, it it's very easy to dehumanize those people. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And to say that, again, we're the self-aware ones. We're the ones that and, and everyone else lacks criticality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And. And the people that go on to like, you know, it, it sounds even more like like with Robin, like he thinks he's. um, He thinks he's clarifying himself. Right. And, and yet making it worse. And, and like 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 he's like he's going to make it make sense to us what he's about. Right. Presumably. I haven't, you know. Yeah, no, but you're, you're right. Essentially. This is yeah. So this is just what I'm assuming. This is like when someone doubles down on a weird opinion they have, yeah, and they so they think worse. they're like, oh, now I'm gonna make sense, and they just dig their grave even deeper. Yeah, like, but but that's what's happening because they, yeah, that's that's how they see that's how they see the world, and you're just looking back on it like. No, I am just in a completely different reality than you. But it's like it's so frustrating though because then you're like, well, we can't abandon. I don't think we can. We should abandon objective reality, and unfortunately, many people want to for the sake of being mm-hmm. right. And I think that that yeah. leads to a bad result in many cases. And yeah. like, but I, I, I always look at um, or I, I think another sort of adjacent person doing something similar here was like, you know, like Andrew Callahan on Channel Five News for YouTube, like that mm. that bit. I think yeah. there he he's an interesting look as well of somebody that just goes around and interviews people from everywhere essentially at mm-hmm. any rally anything yeah. and just but his whole take in, in interviews that he talks about is just letting people like don't he doesn't give leading questions and he just lets people talk because they sort of yeah. just reveal everything about themselves in it and we just take yeah. it as what it is because they're allowed to express themselves and yeah, yeah. a lot of us are going to look at it as a, a, absurd and a lot of it starts to be a bit more humanizing where you're seeing it's people coming from different perspectives and voicing that maybe in ways we don't agree with, but also you start to kind of put together why that might happen. But it's, it's, but even like back to Nathan Fielder, who I think is very good at this and very Mm -hmm. good at getting people to talk and also Mm -hmm. show themselves in his, in the last episode of Nathan for you, I don't want to spoil anything for you, Sam, but like with, um, there's a bit that happens towards the end because he's basically following it's it's like a movie length episode, mm-hmm. but he's following this one character who is the Bill Gates actor in one of the episodes. <laughs> on I just quest. saw the, I just saw the Oh episode you did. Okay, recently. yeah. So he's following yeah, I've, been, him. I've been going back through the episodes. So, yeah, he's following him on this quest for uh to find this old like love of his back in like the fifties. And it yeah, it is wild, like the amount of turns mm-hmm. that episode takes, and how this guy, his his name's literally Bill, actually. Like, <laughs> yeah, and and his whole deal of how he became a Bill, uh, what is it, the um Bill Gates impersonator? It's just crazy, mm-hmm. but but it, it's also like it has its moments of absurd, and you're like, this dude's yeah. creepy. To then heartwarming and like humanizing, and it's just it's it's very all over the place in a good way. But also, yeah. you see the outline for the rehearsal, because at uh-huh. one point, I'm not spoiling. I don't yeah. want to say anything in terms of details. He has yeah. him rehearse something specific, and go over it over and over and over and over wow. again to prepare. Wow. And you can see where he got. I-, I think at least this is where the idea was sort of a test to where to go yeah. from here. 
and he i think the rehearsal improved on this like 20 times more it's just it's it's going in a totally different direction than yeah, this yeah. was but it was just interesting seeing like this is where nathan for you ends and this is where the rehearsal then picks up and i think it's yeah. still that idea of like letting people work through these things but then on camera for us to see while also then having to justify certain actions that they do and keep to their specific mannerisms and specific beliefs and not waver on that which at times is pretty brave i think to not like fold on camera but at Mm -hmm. the same time is a bit i don't know it can be questionable just like if somebody was like super super Mm -hmm. into talking politics no matter what was being talked about like they're just always going to bring it back to that we would probably be annoyed but then you can make that same connection to like someone like angela or robin who no matter what you bring up for somehow it worked its way back to the bible and you're like why we weren't talking about the bible how did we get here you know yeah i mean yeah and we will see as the show goes on yeah i'm really curious maybe we'll we'll hear too from the people that were hired as the actors you know, what, what was on TikTok, know, actually? Yeah, it was reacting okay. to it. I just want to know, like, the one act... I feel like the one actress that was clearly dressed as Meg Griffin, I feel like she knew what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, Like, no, but that... No, no, I'm, I, I, I seriously mean, like, she's yeah. wearing Meg Griffin's outfit from Family Guy. Like, Oh my God, yeah, I forgot about that. Like that has to be a, a choice, mm-hmm. you know. Um, well, I mean, but I think, but okay, but yeah. like you know, we'll hear you know things as uh, like what it was like being on that set and like how aware were they? Because that's like that's like the shoe that you're waiting to drop. Like what yeah. what on earth is actually going on here? Like is it just going to be revealed that they were all actors all along and that oh the God. entire show is fictional? Cause I'm halfway ready to believe that too. The way that Nathan's been setting this whole thing up, subverting the expectations of these types of reality shows. Oh, um, whoa. That you know, maybe kind of crazy. You know, like, it might, it might be something, you know, I don't know. He's, he clearly has a vision and we'll see where it goes. It could go that way. It could, you know, uh, still sort of stay with the the Nathan for you type thing. But it, you know, I feel like the one other thing we could maybe bring up is Borat. Oh, and, yeah. You know, the way that those people, because we, at this point, we know a bit about, in Borat 1 and 2, that, you know, we know a, a, roughly how much the people that are in Borat knew what was going on and it, for the most part they don't they were given minimal information right um and were sort of uh you know just sort of reacting to what they thought was this weird foreign man uh with his backwards views on the world and just sort of uh behaving as they would you know and with Borat too with the the, the woman that he hires to watch his daughter you know i know there was like because because she was likable right people suddenly had concern that they had misled her right right yeah you know um but you know for most everyone else because they for for the majority of the other people in those movies they Borat gives them the opportunity to you know kind of un not not prompted that prompted a little bit, but prompted not that much to suddenly say uh, racist uh, things or to regurgitate uh, 
unexamined ideas about the world outside of America. Um, yeah. Like, you you have the sense from shows like The Rehearsal, like Borat, that, you know, fairly average-looking people, you know, that someone someone, you know, ringing up your purchase at a cash register could have, like, these crazy QAnon beliefs. Yeah. You're driving down the road, and you're at a four-way stop, and you all know what to do. And you, every car there knows, you know, to, to, knows who has the right of way, right? At a stop sign. Yeah, one hopes. And, yeah, one hopes. But, but that is the expectation. Uh, that we all have these things that, you know, this expectation that driving down the street, someone is not going to suddenly uh, uh, veer into your oncoming lane. Right, um, right. And, uh, and yet, all of the, we are aware now that all of these strangers that we're passing, these ships in the night, could have these incredibly bizarre beliefs. Yeah. Uh, and very tr- and very troubling beliefs with, that do real damage right. in the world, and we just smile and nod as we pass them on the sidewalk. Like it, it, it can be a troubling way to look at the world. That like mm. you're walking by someone that thinks that you know our our government is run by Satanist reptiles, uh, and you know it's. And but but they, you know, feel justified in in their beliefs, too. Uh, It's 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 a you know, and I I don't want to spread paranoia and I don't really like feel that paranoid about it. But it is like just a it's a thought exercise. It's a thought. The the next the next time you're in traffic, you know, at least people have bumper stickers in traffic. So you can get a little bit of an idea of how unhinged they are. See, even that makes me nervous. Like mm-hmm. for myself, like I, I just yeah. don't want to be perceived. I think that might be the root cause mm-hmm. here. Because yeah, I don't, I don't have I don't have any bumper stickers, but I have a Subaru, which is a statement. that does it. Yeah, I mean, I have a Honda um, Civic. That's also one. So yeah, it's, but uh, you know, it, it's um because like another thing I've been <laughs> you were talking about having reality TV playing in the background. Um, oh no! While I was doing some work last week, I had uh, to catch a pr- old uh, clips oh, of yeah. to catch a predator playing in the background. <laughs> oh my! Okay, as you do. And it's it's a it's a horrifyingly cringy show. I mean, of of course you watch it and you have no sympathy for the right. people that come there because you are you you go into that knowing that these are awful people that went right, somewhere right. with the intent to harm a child. Right. And yet you watch them and there's also a weird thing of like, you know, if you've, if you've got, you know, a little bit of an empathetic streak in you, you start to imagine like how, how, like, like what on earth does it, does it feel like to be, to be caught doing like something so shameful like that? And then to watch the people that try to talk their way out of it, that think that even though even the people that recognize Chris Hansen and know exactly what's going to happen, they think they're going to talk their way out of this. Right. And it is just the the, the patheticness of these people. You feel it and it's cringy and it's sometimes hard to watch. And there's, of course, the Schattenfreude again, because our 
our impulse is to not care about these people because they they're doing something bad, objectively bad. Right. Um, and yet you're watching them try to have a, a moment of relation with Chris Hansen and like trying to act like, well, they're not, there's so many times you watch it and there's some guy that's like, well, I'm not like those other creeps out there. And Chris oh Hansen is just like, you were here to see a 12 year old girl. How were you not like the other creeps? Right. Like it's. And and these are just people walking around. There was even one. This is from Hansen's new show called uh, Hansen versus Predator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my and God. The guy comes in. And not only does he recognize Chris Hansen, because at this point, Chris Hansen's, you know, he's a famous person. Right. He knows Chris Hansen from their commute together on the train. Oh, that's crazy. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's. uh, But you have that moment where you're like, no, no, no. I'm like. Yeah, it's it's. uh. It's it's a bizarre thing to revisit. Yeah. Uh, and 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 again, this uh, the, I, I think in in trying to. Always assume we have this kind of self-awareness about ourselves, even though, again, there are realities that are uh, objectively more valid than others. Yes. Uh a, a reflection back on ourselves as I think, I think that's where Nathan is trying to go with this. Who knows? Uh, um, yeah, I think so. But I think this is trying to go beyond just self-referential media and trying to get to a broader point about how we, we do not always reflect on our own actions because we feel uh, justified in, in, in our beliefs otherwise. And mm. it, it, it's an interesting thing to push this, um, this, this idea that's, you know, been, been bubbling for, you know, yeah. half a century now yeah. of, of self critique that, still has some level of self-indulgence oh yeah oh my gosh <laughs> absolutely so yeah we shall we shall see but this is yeah. i i i think was a fun opportunity for us to talk about this topic and and also just i, I and also gab about how much we love this show <laughs> oh yeah no i think i think we've been waiting to talk in detail about it and why not share that with all of you but at the same time mm -hmm. i think it's an interesting conversation that it's good to have, I think, uh, you know, yeah. and even to develop. I'm sure we're going to have to end up talking about this again because we're going to find out yeah, what we'll happens to, and it's going to yeah, spark a whole new conversation. This, when, yeah, no, I mean, who knows? I mean, it could go somewhere even crazier. Maybe like for all we know, it's like going to turn out that like, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it'll suddenly it'll be like uh, um, uh, Nathan. Nathan is uh, with someone that ends up being at the January 6th. Uh, <laughs> storming uh, honestly, it's possible. You know, you have no idea. <laughs> I mean, these characters have been pretty wild so far, but it's, it's, it's interesting to see media like this start to show up. And I wonder going forward what's going to come out of it. And I also mm -hmm. wonder going forward how we'll hopefully move away from the idea also of like 
NPCs versus main character syndrome, which I think is basically yeah. what we've been talking about the whole time. And yeah. you made a very good point about it too. And I think, event, I mean, in a way, a paranoid one, but I think a justified one because we do live in a crazy world. And I, I think that yeah, it's it's in I, a way yeah. But when I am driving, yeah, and Take It Easy by the Eagles comes on, right. I am the main character. I just want everyone else to know that. <laughs> you need everybody to know what you're doing. Yeah, uh -huh. I mean, I guess the Eagles really have a way of doing that. It really sets you in oh, a yeah. mood. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think this was definitely a very mm -hmm. insightful mm -hmm. conversation for sure. Yes, yes. Where, uh, what, what other insights do you have going on, uh, Banjo-Jo? Banjo-Jo. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the this should be one of the last weeks to see my solo exhibition, uh, Ephemeral Existence When Light Takes Form, at the St. Kate's Art Hotel in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And in September 9th, I have, I'm a part of a group exhibition with Teleportal that's going to be at Real Tinsel Gallery in Milwaukee, Wisconsin as well. And that's called uh, Teleportal Presents Movement. So... Feel free to check that out. There's some really cool works in there, and it's gonna be it's gonna be really really cool. Um, I also have music available on all streaming service, mm -hmm. so it's under my name, Joe Semino. So check that out. It's just the one album biomes right now, but more will be on the way soon. Um, but cool. other than that, yeah, that's pretty much what's going on with me. How about you, Zan? What do you got going on? Um. I don't have a ton of stuff to announce uh, just yet. Uh, and I know I've been like hinting at things uh, over the past couple of weeks, but uh, you know, just, uh, just in time, in time. Um, in not too long, there should be a, a catalog out for the uh, John C. Campbell uh, Folk Art School in Brasstown, North Carolina. I'll be teaching a workshop there next summer. So uh, when that does become available, I will blast that on my social media. So if nice. you're in the area, you can come and take a uh, painting class from me. It's going to be pretty fun. Um, cool. Other than that, uh, I've got my artwork up per usual at zampeters.com. Uh, yes, and you can find all sorts of things there. Um, let's see. Uh, I think that's about it for me. All that I can announce for right now. Um, other than just, uh, excited to meet my, uh, less than a month, excited yeah. to meet all of my, uh, new students at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts, uh, at Tufts. Uh, very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you would like to find the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Uh, if you'd like to find me, I'm at Xanosaurus on Instagram. And I'm Joe Semino Art on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been the self-aware Zan Peters. And I've been the meta Joe Semino. Me like, me like Meadow Soprano? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>